If you would remain standing, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, there's probably one in the pew in front of you. You could grab that and turn to page 512. 512 or Psalm 119, uh, verses 1 through 8. These are God's words for us this morning. And here is what our God says to us. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with uh, their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Father, we acknowledge that there is no word like your word. And our prayer is that in reading this word and now spending these next moments thinking about this word, that you by your spirit, the same spirit who moved the psalmist to pen these words, you by your spirit would place these words afresh in our hearts, that we would behold wonderful things, and that your powerful word would change us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Two things I want us to think about this morning. There's an insert there in your bulletin if it's helpful to use that as the basic outline of our uh, moments together. First, I want to uh, make some introductory observations about obedience to God, and then I I want to uh, add some introductory orientation of obedience to God. Now, to hit on those two points, we, we want to divide what we've just read into verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, that is the introductory observation about obedience to God. And then in verse 4, down through verse 8, will be um, our introductory orientation to obedience to God. Now, we read these first eight verses last week, um, and I, I did that as, as, as an attempt to kind of give us the overview of this entire psalm. Psalm 119 is 176 verses. It's a long one, and it'll take us uh, quite a while to kind of make our way through it. We will attempt to do it about eight verses at a time, which is the, which is the natural structure of this psalm. Uh, the psalm is, has 22 units reflecting in the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and uh, each of the 22 units have eight verses. And each verse in those units correspond with the, the, the letter of that Hebrew alphabet that they are trying to emphasize. Now, um, 
the, these, these first three verses uh, that we want to begin looking at this morning that provide what I'm going to call an introductory observation about obedience to God is um, the psalmist here. It could be Daniel. It could be somebody else. But the psalmist here is um, merely beginning with some important observations that he is making. Observations about uh, life, observations about God, observations about God's Word. Now, you remember I said something last week. I said of the 176 verses in Psalm 119, all but four of the verses are worded as a direct conversational prayer to God. Four of the verses are not written to God. They're written about God. Well, the first three, first three verses are three of those four. The other one, if you, if you want to know, don't look there just yet, but the other one is, is verse 115. So, uh, uh, so verses 1, 2, and 3 and verse 115 are verses that are framed in a conversation about God. The entire rest of the psalm is written directly to God. The psalmist is, is not talking about God. The psalmist is talking to God. So let's look at what he says about God. These um, an introductory observations about life, about God, about God's Word. And you might notice, at least what strikes me as I read these first three verses, they feel very much like the statements that we would find in the book of Proverbs. They, they, are, they, they, they are reflective of wisdom and observations on life concerning wisdom. Um, and here's the first thing it says about a general observation of life. He says it in verse 1. He says it in verse 2. And really, um, we're, we are, the, the, the thing that we are being told about here is, here's the subject that I want to talk about. Blessed. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. And then skipping down to verse 2, he repeats that word again. Blessed. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Now, so in a sense... What is Psalm 19 talking about, at least as we get started? What's the subject? Well, the subject of this sentence, the subject in our introductory observations about Psalm 119 is this notion of blessed. Psalm 1, I remember, begins with the same term. Blessed. Blessed are those who walk not according to the counsel of the wicked. Well, well, here we're introduced to this term blessed again. Now, for many of us, we hear the word blessed and we're thinking, well, that's appropriate for me to hear a term like that. I mean, after all, I'm in church. Blessed is one of those religious terms. I have no idea what it really looks like and what it means, but, but blessed is just one of those terms we use on Sunday morning when we get dressed up and go to church. But, but, but what, what we still are left with is well, how do, what does that look like? How do I know that that is a, a state that I am experiencing? Well, the best way to get to this and the quickest way is to suggest to you that actually the term blessed is really what we today would often call happy or happiness. 
In other words, do you, do you see this? Psalm 119 is about happiness or being happy. Because the, the Hebrew word here uh, that we translate in our English Bibles, blessed in verse 1 and verse 2 and elsewhere in the Scriptures, is, is, is actually the Hebrew, Hebrew word asher. You, you might have heard of the name Asher before. He's actually one of the, uh, the sons of Jacob. He is, he's Leah's maidservant's second son. And, and, uh, and here's what it says in Genesis 30, verse 13, after the maidservant has had this second son for Jacob. She said, uh, happy am I, for the women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. See, Asher means happy. To connect the dots, when it, when it says blessed here in verse 1 and verse 2, it's, it's just actually using the term Asher. Now, we, we might flinch or object to the notion that, that the opening statement of Psalm 119 is happiness. You mean to tell me Psalm 119 is about my happiness? You bet it is. Isn't that incredible? You say, but wait a minute, Joe. I was here last week. I remember some things you said about last week. Well, I'm I'm glad you were here, and I'm glad you remembered. Um, Because you said last week that, that a really strong feature in Psalm 119 is lament. Yep, I said that, and I didn't change my mind within seven days. Psalm 119 was probably written in the historic context of Israel's exile and captivity. So there's, there's, a, there's much that's said throughout Psalm 119, as we referenced it quickly last week, that, that deals with personal affliction and immense suffering that the psalmist himself experienced probably because of his captivity and exile. I, I said all of that. And yet, and yet, that sets us up to, to see something really important about the subject or notion of happiness. And that is, too often in our own day and age, we, we think that happiness is simply or merely circumstantial pleasantries. We think if, if, nice thing, if nice things happen to me, then guess what? I am happy. If not nice things happen to me, guess what? I am not happy. In other words, we, we define wrongly happiness in our own day and age as situational and circumstantial. Oh, and boy, that, that's why marketing is, is such a strong influence in our day and age. Because marketing comes along, and guess what they are purveyors of? They are selling us happiness. They'll, they'll say, uh, you need one of these. Because if you ain't got one of these, guess what you're not? You ain't happy. Why ain't you happy? You ain't got one of these. Or you need some of this. Or you need less of that. Now, the, either way, situationally or circumstantially, that, what, that is what dictates or determines this experience that, 
that we would call blessed or happiness. But the psalmist is not talking about that kind of happiness. The psalmist is in exile. He is in captivity, and he is well acquainted with affliction and suffering. And yet the psalmist is going to help us to address and explore a truer, a deeper, and a more stout notion of happiness. In fact, what we find in Psalm 119, what we find really in the rest of the Bible, if you want to just lop that all in there, but we can only take a couple of verses at a time, is that uh, joy or happiness or gladness is, is not something created outside of us circumstantially. It, 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 it is something connected to what is going on inside of us, inside of us in terms of where we are at in our relationship with the God who made us, resulting in a development of the kind of people that we are becoming. Happiness is tethered to, is connected to our relationship to God and the resultant kind of virtuous or character-driven person we are becoming as a result of our relationship with God. That's why he says there in verse 1 and verse 2, the subject is blessed in each of those two sentences, but what is most important is not what the thing is about, happiness, but what else it says about this happiness in verses 1, 2, and 3. And he says there in verse 1, blessed are the blameless. Blessed are those, more particularly, whose way is blameless, who Walk in the law of the Lord. Or in verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Now, another way of saying that is happy are the holy. Again, that might be, a, I mean, I alluded to it last week as well, but that might be a, a category disruption to you. Because oftentimes, even in church life, we're told, now look, kids, you've got, you got to make a one choice or the other, because you sure can't be both. You've got to be, you, yeah, you, I want you to be miserable like me. Uh, so you're either going to be holy in life or you're going to be happy in life. And, and really what we've conceded by acknowledging that is, is the, the, the two divergent paths in life are, well, there's a pathway of happiness and there's a pathway of holiness, and, well, you're at a crossroads and you've got to choose one of those paths. You're going to have to let go of one and pursue the other or vice versa. But that's not what our psalm is teaching us. That's not what the Scripture is teaching us. The Scripture is teaching us that the pathway that we walk down to experience the inward sense of happiness is a pathway that follows after God, is a pathway that, that wants to know what he says in his word and wants to live and strive to live in accordance with his word. So blessed are those whose way is blameless. Now in this context, I would suggest to you 
You don't have to go there. You don't have to take the term blameless here um, in, in, a, in, a, uh, in an absolute sense. It's, it's, it's not saying uh, uh, only those who are morally flawless and perfect are happy. No, I would suggest to you what he's really trying to get at is with the notion of journey, we're all, in the, we're all in pursuit of something. We're all walking down a path. We're all heading somewhere. This is, a, this is not an arrival word. It's a process word, if you would. Happiness, not in the sense of what you find at the end of the destination, but, but after you achieve perfect holiness, but, but happiness along the way. A, a, happiness comes along the way when we follow the path of blamelessness, when we try to walk down that path. Really picking up what he says in Psalm 1. Uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk after the counsel of the wicked. Now, why doesn't the happy man not walk after the counsel of the wicked? Because the happy man knows that is a lie. That is not the path of happiness. The path of of wickedness is never a happy path. Uh, Well, it could be fleeting or temporary, but we're not talking about a mere circumstantial or situational kind of happiness here. We're talking about a happiness that, that, that originates in our hearts because of our relationship with the Lord, because of our relationship with the Lord's Word, and because of our desire to want to follow after the Lord through His Word. Happiness comes by following a certain path, in pursuit of that path, in, in, a, in a pursuit of the heart in a way that we earnestly, diligently, consistently, authentically, genuinely, what other terms you want to put on there, uh, uh, follows after the Lord in His way. That's what he says in the second part of verse 1 there, who walk in the law of the Lord. In other words, blamelessness is defined by God in His Word. Those who walk, that is, who live in a certain way earnestly, diligently, consistently, authentically, genuinely, who walk in harmony with God in, God's, in, in synchronization with God's own word. So walking in the direction of following after God and striving to know God's word, that's the pathway of blamelessness that's being described here. And that's the pathway in which we experience the kind of happiness that's being described here. I say all of that to say, on the one hand, that here's, the, here's the, the tightrope we walk. While each of us wants to be happy, if, if notions of happiness uh, get all of our intention, get all of our attention so, so that we spend all of our day mulling over our happiness and how to obtain it, uh, uh, we, guess what we won't ever have? We won't ever have happiness. Because what our passage is telling us is that the subject is happiness, but here's what it says about this happiness. This happiness comes from following the blameless way, from walking in the law of the Lord, from verse 2, from keeping God's testimonies. Second part of verse 2, from seeking the Lord with all of our hearts. And so in other words, we don't get happy by thinking a lot about happiness. 
We actually get happy by thinking a lot about God and His Word and what God says in His Word. We, 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 we get happy not by seeking after happiness, but by seeking after God. God is the source of our happiness. And so our focus, our, the center of our attention is God. If, if, you spend, if you and I spend too much time contemplating happiness and how to get it, we will be left sad and miserable and neurotic. So we seek the blameless way as defined by God's Word. Now, let me, let me add a clarification for that. Do you see what the standard is for blamelessness? The standard is God's Word. The standard for blamelessness is neither my opinion or your opinion, nor is it the preferences of our culture. The standard for blamelessness, and therefore the pathway of happiness, is found in the eternal unchangeable, ever true Word of God. Verse 2 then adds an important element, the second part of verse 2, where it says, who seek Him with their whole heart. See, the point of wanting to know what God's Word tells us as to how to live is because we really... We want to know God. We, 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 we don't want to just simply know some things about God. We want to know God. We, we want, why do we want to uh, um, uh, walk in the law of the Lord? Why do we want to keep His statutes? Those are not merely end in themselves. We, we, want to, we want to walk in the law of the Lord and keep His statutes because from the bottom of our heart, We want to seek this Lord who has given us His law, who has provided for us His testimonies and His statutes. It is God that we want to know. The the, the Word is precious to us. And what God says to us in His Word is precious to us because guess what? God is precious to us. And such a desire to want to know God uh, prompts our hearts, incites our hearts, stimulates our hearts to want to pursue God uh, through His Word. Because as we pursue God through His Word, we are pursuing God Himself. Oh, be careful. Don't say, on the one hand, any of us could say, I, I just want to know God. I just want to pursue God. I want to seek God with my whole heart. And and yet I don't have time for His Word. I don't have time to learn anything from it. I don't have time to spend any time in it. I don't have time to interact with it. I'm just too busy. But boy, I want to know God. And that's, that's a separation that, that is really foreign to the pages of the Bible. Knowing God, which is a beautiful thing for which you and I were created in the first place. But knowing God comes through the agency of His Word. When we express a desire to know God, but don't couple that with a a, a desire to invest our lives in learning His Word, then I know this is harsh, but there is no integrity in that. In a sense, there is no 
blamelessness in that. Because we're saying one thing with our lips and we're professing another thing with the actual direction of our lives. The other thing he says in verse 3, um, uh, which, by the way, if you've noticed it yet, I'm going to spend more time on this first point, and then we'll, we'll move quicker, hopefully. Um, the other thing, it's really important by way of introductory observation from verse 3. So what's the subject? The subject is happiness. Um, how do we achieve that happiness? How do we experience that happiness? It's, it's really through seeking God with our whole heart through His Word And then he adds another thing that's really practically important for us today. He says in verse 3, Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. We pursue God's word because we want to know God. But yet another thing that he adds to that in wanting to know God, guess what? That should affect how we live among other people. Really, the notion of who do no wrong is, is, is the, the idea behind that is, is it pertains to how we treat other people, how we deal with other people, um, how we relate to other people. In other words, to, to put it positively, who do no wrong, to put it positively, uh, people who do what's right by people. That is, that we would be a people in wanting to seek to know God through His Word, we would be a people who would take serious the call to live justly. That is, to be guided by what is just and to be directed by what is right. Again, we can't disconnect here. We say, you know, I just want to seek God. But I, wanna, I don't want to do right by people. I mean, heck with people. We, we can't say, I want to seek God and then turn a blind eye to injustice and doing people wrongly or even being a part of a process that does people wrongly. No, to seek God and to live in the way of His law and to, and, to, and to keep His testimonies means that we would also, in knowing God in such a way, we would also set up and pay attention to doing no one wrongly, but only doing as He, as he finishes in verse 3, but who walk in His ways, God's ways. Allegedly, allegedly, Justice is a big matter in our day and age. All I know is what I see on television. I mean, justice has apparently become such a a big matter in our day and age that that we justify burning down buildings. We justify destroying property. We justify stealing what doesn't belong to us. And we justify harming others. See, we never erase one level of injustice by engaging in another level of injustice. 
But that's what happens when we, when we pull away from God's Word and we say, now God says something about justice. Oh, good. Well, God, you said over there and let me figure out what justice looks like. I don't need your help. Thank you very much. No, we must be people who are deeply burdened by injustice and deeply committed to justice. And yet to be God's people means that we will be God's people who seek justice using God's definitions, God's descriptions, God's um, uh, determination of what is right and what is just. You see, we can never improve upon what God's Word says about justice. And when we ignore what God's Word says, or we turn away from God's Word, or we push away what God's Word says about justice, and we follow societal whims and the descriptions of, of, of justice that our culture tells us is what is currently in vogue, then we will never, ever, ever, ever get deep enough into the real matters and causes of injustice, and we will most certainly never, ever, ever get deep enough into the real solutions and remedies of injustice. You see, among other things, all that the psalmist is trying to say is that in seeking to know God through His Word, that should have profound influence on how we treat others. All right, so there's, there's, your, uh, there's your introductory observation uh, 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 from the psalmist about God, about His Word. And now he begins in verse 4, uh, the, the unit that will consist, except for one verse, all sentences that are framed as conversations to God. And among other things, what that teaches us, you see how he begins that? He's moved from talking in verse 3 about God to now he begins talking directly to God, verse 4. You, you, you have committed your, your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I, I, I will keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Oh, the psalmist has done something really, 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 really important for us. He's not just made some general observations, but he's also modeled for us the right kind of orientation that will carry us through the rest of this psalm. There is a huge difference. There is a great distinction between talking about God, which is what he's done in verses 1, 2, and 3. He's talked about God, but now what he's done for us in verse 4 and following is he's now beginning to talk to God. Look, it's a good thing to talk about God. It's a good thing to learn about God. It's a good thing, uh, it's even a better thing, if you would, to, to learn about seeking God and to talk about seeking God. But what is best, what is optimal, what you and I were made for is not simply to learn about God, not simply to talk about God, not simply to learn about seeking God, not simply to talk about seeking God, but you and I were made to actually seek God. The observations in verses 1, through 2, and 3 are important, but... but, but 
But if that is it, in terms of our daily experience, that we just simply know some things about God and we know some things about seeking God, no, those things must be, as the psalmist models for us, must be turned into a pursuit. And every day, throughout the day, kind of pursuit in which every day, throughout our day, we are seeking to live out of the presence of the Lord in our lives. Every day, throughout the day, we are striving to live with a conscious awareness of the Lord's presence in our lives. And every day and all throughout the day, we are seeking to respond out of the Lord's presence in our lives to all of the situations and circumstances that he places us in in life. We we want to know some things about God. We want to know some things about seeking God. But we want to be counted among those who are Seeking God. The heartbeat of the Christian faith is not merely knowing a thing or two about God. The heartbeat of the Christian faith is that because of the shed blood of Jesus, we are brought into a right, reconciled relationship with a holy God. And now uh, the blessing of our salvation, the happiness of our salvation, consists of knowing this God, of living in a daily experiential, relational uh, bond with this God because of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. And that's what he begins to launch on. And we won't, so we won't move through verses 4 through 8 in, 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 in much detail for this morning because we will see this played out um, multiple ways as we continue. But I would just say um, in verse 5 and verse 8, he says there in verse 5, Oh, that my way may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He says, uh, what did he say generally, observation? Uh, Blessed are the blameless. Blessed are those whose pursuit is toward God and his word. And and really what he's acknowledging in verse 5 is, and I'm not professing to walk down that path flawlessly. There's a sense in which he knows that the greatest impediment to him walking down the path of blamelessness is himself. Oh, that I would be steadfast in that. And then in verse 8, he says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Again, I think part of what he's expressing here is, I, I know these things generally. I know, I know happiness comes through holiness. I know that blessedness comes through walking in the blameless path, seeking to know God through his word, doing right by others, And I want to keep that. Oh, I wish I could keep that. Oh, help me to keep that. And and, oh, Lord, when I don't keep that, don't cut me off. Don't forsake me. And here's how you can have assurance that you will not be forsaken. Because there's never one of us in this room that could on our own live up to this tall order of walking blamelessly before the Lord. But guess what? There is one who did. The Lord Jesus walked this blameless path flawlessly, perfectly. And the Lord Jesus went to the cross and he died for people like you and I 
who as sure as maybe we even want to walk this wet path of blamelessness, we're not confident in it of ourselves. We will. And we know if it was left to our own devices, we would have been cut off long ago. But here's what we do know. When Jesus hung on that cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was at that moment that he swapped out our experience with his own experience. It was at that moment he was cut off from God. Even though he was flawless and blameless and perfect, he was cut off from God so that any and all who trust in Jesus as imperfect as we are, as much as we strive toward blamelessness but come up short, as much as we want to seek God and then get lazy and don't do that, we will not be forsaken because of Jesus who was forsaken in our place. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his word. Thank you for what his word teaches us and tells us about us and our lives and about you and about your word. So, Father, help us now to to gain confidence and assurance that all who seek you, you will in no way turn away. Thank you, Father, that even though we might have earned the experience of being forsaken by you, That for all who are trusting in Jesus, he experienced that in our place. And Father, the fact of the matter is, because of what Jesus has done, and our grasping of the beauty of that, it makes us all the more want to seek you, and to follow you, and to receive whatever notion of joy and gladness and happiness your grace will provide. We simply want to be you, you, want to be yours. We simply want to belong to you. Thank you for the grace that makes that a reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.